So Danielle told me before that song, she said, Christian, all the moms are going to cry, which means I must have a little mom inside me because I, 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 I teared up for just a little bit. We want to welcome you here to Journey today. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. You know, Mother's Day is one of the most difficult days of the year for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. There are some in here who have lost their mother. Uh, and Mother's Day is a painful reminder. There are others in here who are living estranged from their mother right now. There are some moms that have lost children that are here today, and there are other families who are struggling with infertility. So every year on Mother's Day, we don't kind of ignore that, but we try to bring it to the forefront and pray for people who, this is a hard day for them. So would you bow your heads with me? Can we just start out praying this morning? God, I pray right now in Jesus' name for all the people who, Lord, they hurt, Lord, every day over something, but maybe a little more on this day. God, I pray for all the people who today in the room are celebrating Mother's Day, but their mom's no longer with them. Lord, I pray for all the moms in the room who are celebrating Mother's Day, but maybe one of their children is not with them. Lord, I pray for those in the room who might today have a strained uh, strained relationship with their mom. Uh, And today's really difficult. Lord, I pray for all the couples who are struggling with fertility in this day is just a reminder of that. Lord, I pray that today Jesus would be sufficient for them. Lord, I pray that they would feel full. I pray that they'd feel complete. I pray that they would feel whole. And Lord, even in a broken world filled with brokenness, that they would be okay today because your presence is with them. So be with them, Lord, be with all of us as we dig into your word today, but help those who are hurting on this day especially. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So we're in the third week of a series called My Dysfunctional Family. We've been studying the life of Joseph uh, out of Genesis chapter 46 through 50. Uh, In week one, we talked about how you have to be able to hand your past to God and let him use it to strengthen it, even if it's difficult. Um, last week, we learned how roles in families change, but we have to understand how those roles change and the tension that changing roles in families brings and how we adjust to that, even if it's difficult. And today, we're going to talk about how to have spiritual influence, um, not just on your family, not just on your friends, but all those people in your circle of influence. How do we have spiritual influence? Impact, maybe specifically on the difficult relationships in our life or some of the dysfunctional people in our life. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy. That's going to be our text today, 2 Timothy chapter 1, a little bit of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, you can fire up your Journey Church International app or your Bible app, pull your notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along. Uh, Danielle is going to be with me teaching on Mother's Day, speaking specifically to a lot of the moms and grandmas. Danielle, what's our goal today as we dig into 2 Timothy? Uh, well, really, as we were preparing this, we really felt like these truths were going to be great truths, and it's going to be a great message for moms and grandmas, but also, the truth is, this is really a message that is intended for every person. If you're a dad in the room, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're a small group leader, um, if you're just a neighbor and a friend, whoever you are in this room, if you desire to have spiritual influence, this is going to be a great message for you this morning to encourage your heart. Yeah, one of the great ways to influence difficult people to try to get some of the dysfunction out of your life is to spiritually influence people in a positive way. Timothy's going to teach us that. Let me introduce you to Timothy before we get into his text. Who was Timothy? Timothy was was from Lystra. It was a Roman colony in the province of Galatia. It was the same region that the apostle Paul was from. If you look at a map of Galatia, you can see that Timothy is from this city here, Lystra. Paul is from the city of Tarsus, about 150 miles away. And the book of Galatians, the first book of the New Testament, was written to a group of churches that lived in that area right there. For those of you who can't see that screen very well, Timothy's here, Paul's there. The book of Galatians was written to this group of churches in the region of Galatia. The apostle Paul met Timothy on his second missionary journey. 
And he began to apprentice him. He began to teach him how to be a pastor, how to be a minister in the New Testament church. Um, Timothy became Paul's official representative, basically his associate pastor. When Paul would start a church and go to start the next one, a lot of times he would leave Timothy behind and say, this is going to be your pastor now. He did this in the city of Thessalonica. He did it in Corinth. He did it in Philippi. And he did it in Ephesus. And you say, how influential was Timothy in his ministry? Well, he spent time in prison because of his Christian ministry. He was so impactful in pagan cities that they said, you're, you're causing too much change. You have to go to jail. So when we look at the life of Timothy, we see, we see someone with tremendous spiritual influence. But when we look at the book of 2 Timothy, the last book that the apostle Paul would have written before he was beheaded by a Roman emperor named Nero in AD 67, he speaks to the life of Timothy, and he doesn't just talk about spirit, Timothy's spiritual influence, but he talks about Timothy's spiritual influencers. And as we dig into the history of Timothy and his family, we see three ways that really help us understand how to influence people spiritually. We're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and then we're going to jump over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look together at how Timothy was influenced to become a spiritual influencer. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.5, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Flip over to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Because here's Paul's charge to him. But again, it talks about the spiritual influence in his life. He said, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want to know how to have spiritual influence on your family, on your friends, on your dorm room, on your neighborhood, on your team, if you want to know how to have spiritual influence, we can look at Timothy's spiritual influencers and learn three pretty important things that we want to give you today. For those of you who are moms and want to have spiritual influence on your family, these will be great. For those of you who are Christians and just desire to have spiritual influence on anyone, these are great. Danielle, what's the first one? The first point is that a Christian identity was more important than a cultural identity. So a Christian identity was more important than a cultural identity. And when we look at our culture, Christianity and culture are different. So Saturday, last Saturday, we were rolling through the streets of Tiberias. That's the town on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, a day after we would leave Tiberias with our group of 30, Iran and Israel would start firing rockets at each other. We were told that from the balcony of our hotel, you could hear the missile fire and see the explosions in the sky over the Golan Heights where we were only 24 hours earlier. But as we rolled through Tiberias on the Sabbath, their Saturday, what they call Shabbat, I found myself getting kind of disgruntled with American culture. Now, this happens every time I go on a mission trip. I, I just think about how hard things are in, a, in America spiritually. Because in Israel on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, it's a government-regulated day of the week, and nothing is open. And I began looking around thinking, man, how much more time could I spend with my family if on Sunday... There were no restaurants open. If on Sunday, kids were not allowed to play sports. If on Sunday, no moms or dads were allowed to go to work. If on Sundays, the movie theaters weren't open, the markets weren't open, the grocery stores weren't open. If on Sunday, no one could work and really no one could play. If on Sunday, they forced you to spend time with your family. And I, and, and I got to the point where I thought, man, 
I hate how hard it is in America to do life like Jesus wants you to do life. And I thought, I wish it was more like here. And I felt like God spoke to my heart and said, when has culture ever been responsible for your Christianity? Like when has culture ever been responsible to make your job as a Christian easier? That's not how it works. Christianity is always outside of culture, specifically for Timothy. Timothy's dad was Greek. Timothy's mom was Jewish. Timothy lived in a Roman town, which means his culture would have been all over the place. A Jewish mom and grandma, a Greek dad in a Roman town, and then he becomes a Christian. Like Timothy wouldn't have been like anyone hardly in his city. He would have totally had to step out of his culture to begin following Jesus. And what I'm learning as I watch people in ministry today is there are a lot of us who want to try to figure out how to balance culture and Christianity. We want to have them both. And what happens is we end up having neither. We never feel at home in the world because we're Christians. And we never fully step out of culture because we're Americans. And there's always this tension in our soul. And I see it a lot with parents who want their kids to follow Jesus, but they also want them to be normal and like every other kid. Because they say, if, I, if my kid really starts following Jesus, they're going to look different from everyone at their school. They're going to look different than everyone on their sports teams. They're going to be different than everyone who's sitting in their math class. And I see a lot of parents who want to try to balance culture and Christianity. And what we learn from the life of Timothy is you cannot balance culture and Christianity. A lot of the tension and dysfunction we see in the lives of people is for people who try and they're finding it too difficult. And what we learn from Timothy is your Christian identity has to trump. It has to be greater than your cultural identity. A Christian identity is more important than a culture of identity. And for those of you who are parents, we have to remember this lesson from Timothy's mom and his grandma. The goal of a parent should be to raise spiritually healthy adults, not socially popular teenagers. And when I look at parents who struggle with the tension between culture and Christianity, they they want both. They want their kids to be comfortable. They want their kids to be popular. They want their kids to fit in at school. They also want them to grow up and love Jesus deeply and be great spiritual leaders. And we have to realize as parents, usually both of these don't happen. And as a parent, you've got to be okay with letting your Christian identity be greater than your cultural identity. Yeah, I think it's important to note that if you're going to raise kids who have a heart for God, you've got to be willing to go against the grain of normal. You've got to be willing to look a little weird at times, a little different. Um, And I think it's okay. It's okay for us to realize that we can raise kids that might look a little different to the outside world. Um, In her book, Spiritual Parenting, Michelle Anthony says this. She said, the Christian life calls us to be in the world, not of it. Spiritual parenting proclaims, I'm going to stand here in the midst of it all. I'm going to live in the world because God has placed me in it for this time. I do this. And yet I recognize that we are aliens. As the apostle Peter states, this world is not my home. It never will be. I will never feel completely comfortable here. I will never feel that I truly fit in. So while I'm here, I'm not going to be of it. As I was really preparing for this message this week, This statement touched me so much because 
Growing up as a Christian teenager, I felt like this summed up so many times in my life where I felt this. I just felt a little out of place. I I felt a little awkward at times. And even now as a mom, just trying to live as a Christian, be a good example to my kids, there's different places I'm in. There's different situations I'm put in. There's different people I'm around where I feel like this again. I just don't feel completely comfortable. And it was so reassuring to me to have someone say it and validate it and say, hey, it's okay. You shouldn't ever feel completely comfortable here. I think it's a message that our kids need to hear. I think it's a message that we sometimes need to hear as adults. It's a message our friends need to hear and some of our family members need to hear. And I think you just have to speak that into your heart today. I will never feel completely comfortable here. I will never feel that I truly fit in. And that's okay because you're not designed for this place. You're designed for someplace even greater. And I think, you know, as we were talking about this message, and just kind of reflecting on different stories from our past, I think the sad thing to recognize is that a lot of times when we really commit as a family together to live to a different standard, to be a little different in our day and age, um, sadly, the people who are going to try to pull you down or discourage you are not strangers. They're typically going to be people you know. They're going to be your family members. They're going to be your friends. It's kind of Um, that illustration of why is it that when someone we know goes on a diet, like we try to get them to eat a donut or like have a Kit Kat, you know? Yeah. Hot dogs, (laughs) quick trip, anything at quick trip. I want to take all my friends on diets to quick trip with me. Why are we always trying to do that? You might've heard of this. It's called the crab mentality. There's just something in us that when somebody is trying to rise to a higher level, we are trying to pull them down. If you throw a bunch of crabs in a bucket, the thought is that if one of them tries to get out, everybody else is pinching and pulling that one down. So sometimes the people that we've got to be willing to look different to and realize they might try to pull us down might even be our friends and family. Um, Sadly, because it's convicting when people start living their life right and we feel better if we can get people to live like us. You know, I think personally this played out for us in our life when we were growing up. We had some fun recollecting this week. Um, When I was in high school, my dad would interview my dates. You can imagine how well that that went over. He did it to me, and I was in college. He called me before I would let Daniel. Son, are you a Christian? Yeah, I was like, that's my name. Boom, next question. I mean, it was like, (laughs) got it. Come on, brother, bring on another one. We're a thousand miles away. You're not going to do, you're not going to stop me from doing anything. Um, He's probably watching right now. Um, But you guys. Just kidding if you're watching. I can promise you at the time as a teenager, I went to a public high school. Um, I did not appreciate that. I got known as the girl who you have to go talk to her dad if you want to date her. That's weird in today's culture, right? But as an adult now, and even looking back, I would have never told him, Dad, thank you so much for interviewing my dates. But deep down, the security that gave me that my father loved me, he would sit them down and say, I want you to know that we dedicated Danielle to the Lord when she was a baby. And we've raised her to love the Lord. We want her to be pure. We want you to protect her purity. And you know, always the guy who I would date who would respect that conversation ended up being a decent guy to date. It was the ones who didn't that I probably should have avoided. But I know that you you were the same way with your dad. Your dad had some standards for you because you grew up in athletes and as an athlete and with a lot of sports. And there's some standards your dad set that look different for your family. Yeah, so my dad was a coach. I mean, a Hall of Fame coach in our high school, often the district coach of the year, state coach of the year. But I was not allowed to play sports on Sunday until I had been to church. I was not allowed to miss church 
for sports. I could play sports on Sunday, but I was not allowed to miss church. We'd have to go to the really early service or the really late service, or I would have to show up for a game late. That's just the way it happened for me. And, and listen, I did not play as many sports, as much dance. I didn't, I didn't do as much as our kids are doing today. You know, you say, Christian, that, that's got to be impossible in today's culture. You're right. It's difficult, more difficult probably for the world we live in than for the world that I live in. I get that. My kid plays summer baseball and, you know, all the sports that your kids are playing. I get how busy it is. However, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing even in our public high school, like during the school season, the in-school season, every now and then kids miss. I mean, like the best players, when they have to take the ACT, they miss a game. And parents don't even think about apologizing for it. They're like, they can't get into college without the ACT. They're not going to be able to play today. And the coaches are like, of course, that makes sense. We see kids miss. A few weeks ago, we had three of our big starters who had a choir tournament. And they missed a game because they all had to go to the state choir tournament. And the parents just said, this is really important for their grades. We see kids miss for boys state. We see kids miss for boy scouts and girls. We see kids miss for things that parents are say, this is really important, but I rarely see kids miss for church. I don't even see kids like come late to games. I don't see very many parents who will say, listen, on Sundays we go to church. So we're not going to be able to be an hour and a half early. We're going to get there right when the game starts because we can't miss church. I don't see very many parents that say we have to leave right after the game. We can't be a part of the post-game huddle because we have to get back to the 5 p.m. service. I just don't see church being one of those things parents feel permission to say, hey, this is really important. Could you consider allowing us to be different? One of my best friends is Clayton King. He pastors at a church called New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina, and their community, now it's a church of 20,000. They've got about 2,000 kids in their youth group. Their rec league sports in Anderson changed the night of football practice because the youth group parents got together and went to the organization and said, our kids are not missing youth group, so you can either change the night you have practice or you will not have a football league. And they changed the night they had practice. That's being different. But I, but I see so many parents who are afraid to do that because they don't want their kids to look bad. They're as concerned about raising socially popular teenagers as they are about raising spiritually healthy adult with convictions. And here's what we all need to realize. If you really want to have spiritual influence on people, you've got to stand out from culture if you ever desire to invite people to come out of culture. Like you have to stand out from culture if you ever want to invite people to come out of culture. You got to stand out if you want to be different. You say, you tell me to never play on Sunday again. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying maybe think about how that works and how important your Christianity is for you and being known for your Christian identity. Because when people are really passionate and they say this is really important, a lot of times most of the coaches I've talked with are very, very understanding of how that works and they try to work around. If it's important to the parents, it's important to them. So Christian identity has to be more important than a spiritual identity. And if you stand out, you can call people to come out of culture. But Daniel, how do we do this? Uh, The second way that we do this is we live a life that is grounded in and is guided by Scripture. We live a life that is grounded in and guided by Scripture. I love what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 because we really learn how he was influenced spiritually in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If we listen closely, listen to verse 14, 15, 16, and 17. Paul said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of Because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have to live a life that's grounded in and guided by the principles of God. So let's go back to Joseph. We've been studying Joseph for the last few weeks, you know, sold by his brothers, uh, eventually thrown into prison. And then all of a sudden in the next chapter, he's running the entire country of Egypt. So how does that happen? How does a guy who his brothers hated who his slave traders sold for a second time, who gets thrown in prison for a rape that he didn't commit, even though his DNA evidence was all over the scene, how's that guy end up running the country? He lived a life that was grounded in and guided by the things of God that he knew. Look at Genesis chapter 39, because we see Joseph won the favor with the powerful and pagan Egyptians because his actions were different. It was different. He won favor with powerful and pagan people Because he was different. He was grounded in and he was guided by scripture. Genesis 39 tells the story this way. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. We know he was sold by his brothers. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him. So now he's a slave for the second time over from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of everything in his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So how do we have spiritual influence on even pagan people, people who don't believe anything that we believe? How do we have spiritual influence on our families, on our kids, on our coworkers, on our neighbors, on our friends? How do we have spiritual influence with people who don't yet know Jesus. We have to be grounded in and guided by scripture because that makes us different and different stands out so you can call people to come out to where you are. The fact is that most people are attracted to the teaching of Jesus, but they're repelled by the actions of his followers. We all know people in our life who are turned off really to the faith because of someone else they know. Your actions have to match what you're saying, what you're preaching. And you won't always be perfect, but you have to be consistent. And listen, you, like, you need to underline this point. Because almost every person I've met who's not a follower of Jesus respects Jesus, what they know about him. It's the actions of people who say they're following Jesus that are the real block for them, not Jesus himself. So most people are attracted to the teaching of Jesus, but they're repelled by the actions of the followers who say, yeah, I'm following him, I'm like him. Yeah, it's really this thought. Um, Christian's college football coach is a little man named Sam Rutigliano, a little Italian man, and he has an Italian accent. I will spare you and will not do it right now. But he always said, don't talk about it, be about it. And it's this thought that to teach it, you have to be it. And really as a mom and as an influencer in here today, this is the most challenging thing for me because I realize that I have the opportunity to spiritually train and spiritually influence my kids or people that are in my circle of influence 
influence, but I realize that I have to have a personal love for the word of God. If I want my kids to have it, if I want anyone in my life to have it, people have to see the fruit of that love in my own life. And I think that we see that this played out in Timothy's life, or else Paul wouldn't have mentioned it. If you look again at 2 Timothy 3.15, he said, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And the thought is this. If from infancy he knew the scriptures, it was because someone taught him. And specifically in Timothy's case, it was his mom and his grandma. So for all of us in the room today, I think that should challenge and encourage us that we can't give away something that we don't first possess ourselves. Um, I quoted Michelle Anthony earlier, but she also says this. She says, our children hunger to see the reality of who God is in the natural flow of our lives. When we're getting up, when we're sitting down, when we're on a journey, when we're putting them to bed, our children need to see that faith matters, that it's relevant to our daily situations, that it's real. It's that verse in Deuteronomy that as you are going down the street, as you are doing this, it's teacher faith as you're living it out on a daily basis. So we like to talk about practical tips and and things that you can do practically. I know for us, when our kids were young, um, we like to expose them to even scripture memorization at a young age. They were in different church programs and stuff where from a very young age, I was shocked at how quickly they could consume things, how fast they learned. Um, At bedtime, we would read together the picture Bible or the action Bible, um, and we tried to just really expose them to God's word through church, through VBS, um, just like we would send them to some or sports camps, we would make sure that they had some spiritual camps that they were part of in their life. And now it's fun for us because as our kids are getting older and they're teenagers, we're getting to have more real life spiritual conversations with them. Um, I know Casey and I t- try to go every Tuesday before her guitar lesson. We're usually reading a devotional together and we'll have coffee together. Like I have a 14 year old who drinks coffee. It's so weird. Um, but we'll have coffee together and we'll just talk about like what's God teaching you. And honestly, I'm learning from her. I'm shocked at the things I'm learning from our kids spiritually. Um, I know you and Christian have had your like man breakfast together where you have life talks and you're just able to apply like the Bible to practical situations in his life. So I want to encourage you today if you feel like, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming. I don't know where to start. Honestly, I just look for great resources because I feel a lot like you sometimes. I feel like I'm ill-equipped for the task, but there's some incredible resources out there for parents. You do not have to recreate the wheel. And in fact, we've provided a tool for you in your worship guide this morning. On one half of the page is scriptures that you can teach your kids and have them memorize at different ages that would be appropriate for them. And on the back side is a list of prayers that you can pray every day for them. Because sometimes, let's be honest, we get up and we don't know what to pray for them And so sometimes it's nice to have tools that can help you. Um, So it's important to know that you normally don't impact the world more deeply than you've been impacted by the word. You don't impact the world more deeply than you've been impacted by the word. And when you look at these verses to memorize, let me me just make this clear. This, This is not for your children to memorize. This is for you and your children to memorize. And it's funny because you get to age 10 and you're like, well, Philippians 4 what? Philippians 4. Like, for what? Like, the whole chapter. Like, Philippians chapter 4. And you're like, what? 2 Timothy 1 and 2, 2 Timothy 3 and 4. There's only four chapters. The whole book of 2 Timothy. The whole book of James. Joe White. These verses all come from Joe White. Would not let his kids get their driver's license until they had memorized all these scriptures. 
I should have read that book like two years ago. <laughs> yeah, several books of the Bible. Their kids were not allowed to get their driver's license until they had memorized all these scriptures. And of course, he memorized them with them. Why? Because if you hide God's word in your heart, later you won't sin against him. It'll be a light into your feet and a lamp into your path, right? God's word does these things. And most people don't have more impact on the world than they've been deeply impacted by the word. So get into the word, memorize scripture for your kids, with your kids, and then talk about them together as you live your life. Because once you get there, God will use you deeply. And that's what number three is. You have to choose to be an example of what a life of faith looks like. You say, I don't want anyone to look at me and figure out who Jesus is. Well, that's how it works. The apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus. You haven't seen Jesus, you've seen me. I've seen Jesus, follow me and you'll follow Jesus. How many of you could say that? How many of you could say, if my kids grow up to be just like me, they'll grow up to be just like Jesus. That was the apostle Paul's challenge. And Paul said, Timothy, I look at you and you are just like your mom. You are just like your grandma. Look at 2 Timothy 1, 5 again. One of the greatest verses in the Bible for those of us who are parents or for those of you who are grandparents. Paul says, I am reminded of your faith. I look at your faith. And he said, I see in you your mother. And I see in you your grandmother. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, but it first lived in your grandma, your Mimi, your Nana, your whatever you call her. And then it lived in your mom also, but it lives in you. But it's theirs. Like they have passed it down to you. You have no idea what a strong statement this is. As I was in Israel this week, I was remembered that all four resurrection accounts begin with a woman going to the tomb. It's one of the most credible reasons why we believe the resurrection accounts are accurate. Women in the first century were not even allowed to testify in court. Their, their testimony was not valid, not credible. It didn't count. Women couldn't be trusted in a legal sense 2,000 years ago in a document. So if you were making it up, you would never say the women were the first one to find them because everyone would say, you can't trust their word. Women aren't even allowed to testify in court. If they were making it up, they would have said Pontius Pilate found the tomb empty. If they were making it up, they would have said the Pharisees and the Sadducees found the tomb empty. The scribes found the tomb empty. All four accounts say these women who were following Jesus went and saw the tomb empty and they went and told everyone else, which is a big deal in the gospels. And it's a pretty big deal for the apostle Paul to say that to Timothy. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the context of the New Testament and really how women were viewed, it's such a big deal that Paul would have specifically known of and mentioned the faith of the mother and the grandmother, which to me just says that these ladies were really well known in their church. Um, their actions must have matched their words. So that just speaks to me, to me to the fact that Timothy had really been led by example by these ladies. Yeah, no offense, dad, but we're not listed here. Right, Timothy's dad, we don't read anything about his faith life. We read that he loved Jesus passionately, but as a Christian, he looked just like his mom and his grandma, which means two things, two really huge points to end on today. Key number one that we learn, Timothy's faith should be an inspiration to every single parent and every grandparent, right? Because it looks like mom was, was parenting alone spiritually. I mean, you read about Timothy's faith, and for those of you who are single moms, for those of you who are single dads, or for those of you who are single faith parents, say, what do you mean by that? You're married, but either your husband or wife doesn't come with you. They don't believe like you do. You are pulling the rope all by yourself. You need to hang in there because you matter. 
and your faith matters. And for those of you who are grandparents, you matter and your faith matters. Like Timothy was so used of God, he got locked up in prison. He was used too much of God. They say, you can't do that anymore. You got to go to jail. And Paul says, man, when I see your faith, you look just like your grandma. So grandparents, grandma, grandpa, you matter deeply. Second Timothy 1.5 says, I'm reminded of your faith, but it lives in your grandma and in your mom. Key number two is this, mom, on Mother's Day, you matter. Not just on Mother's Day, every day. Mom, you matter and your faith matters. Timothy was deeply impacted by his mom's faith. Mom, you matter and your faith matters deeply to your children. Some of those who will grow up and maybe be so impactful for the gospel in some part of the world where they're not supposed to, that they'll end up in jail. And when people hear about your jail children, they would say, man, they look just like their mom. That's what she would have done too. She, if she was minister in Pakistan in the Middle East, by the year 2050, Christianity will be the second largest global religion. Islam will be number one. We see a turn by 2100 where Christianity will be illegal in many parts of the world. It will be you, mom and grandmas, that tell your kids, keep going. Even when, even when they say it's illegal, man, keep loving Jesus. People are going to say, his mom would have done that. It's exactly the way his mom would have lived her face. She'd be sitting in jail if she lived under those same rules. Yeah, so these two ladies, Lois and Eunice, they really gave a gift of their faith to their children. Um, But I have to believe that just knowing the kind of ladies that they were, I really believe they probably gave him the gift of prayer as well. And I truly believe that one of the most important things that we can do for our children, but really for any people in our life, is to give them the gift of praying for them, praying with them, and praying over them. Um, We talk a lot about this in the podcast this week, so I'd encourage you to go listen to it. But I want to speak to grandparents here specifically today just to encourage you um i was really have just been blessed to have two sets of grandparents who weren't raised christians but who came to the faith and i think one of the greatest gifts that my grandparents have given me is every time i would talk to them they would say we pray for you every day we pray for you we pray for christian we pray for the kids every day and i truly believe that like clockwork so much so that um my dad's parents have both recently passed on in the last few years and my grandfather was the last to go and um, he was just a faithful prayer warrior. And I told Christian, as we were going through the process of saying goodbye to him and then the funeral, it kind of hit me. I told Christian, I was like, oh, my gosh, I am going to so miss the prayers of my grandfather. Like, to know that I'm going to be missing out on those daily prayers. I know how bad I need them. Um, and I, Mark Batterson says this. He talks about how our prayers never die, but they live on in the lives of those we've prayed for. And many of us in the room today, prayers that we've been praying for family members or for friends, we, we never have any idea when God might answer those. And sometimes the answers to those prayers might come after we're gone from this earth. Um, but I am praying that the prayers my grandfather prayed over me will live on in my life and the life of my children lives. And uh, that's why we've provided some prayers in that worship guide. But I think that's one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children and our grandchildren and really friends and family and people we know in our life. Yeah. So on the back of the scripture memory card, there are daily prayers. You can pray for your kids just for their, their emotional life, their physical life, their school life, their relational life, things you can pray. You say, I don't, I would love to pray for my kids. I don't know how this is a little guide to do that, to keep near you. Um, you know, when I look at my mom's faith, 
Uh, my, you know, I, 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 like Timothy, have my mom's faith. My dad didn't grow up as a Christian, really became a Christian much later in life. My mom's dad was a pastor. Uh, my mom, every day of my life, I remember my mom reading her Bible. I remember her writing in her journal. I used to go read her journal to see what she knew about me and what she was praying for me um, and see if she was praying all the things that were totally necessary because I knew my mom was going to be praying and writing. So your prayers live on. And listen, it's not just your prayers that are important for people that you want to influence spiritually. It's also your past. Your past is really important for people you want to influence spiritually. Don't forget, some of our greatest lessons of faith are lessons of failure. And if we can show people how God has been gracious to us, maybe, just maybe, they'll believe God can be gracious to them as well. You know, a lot of people are listening to this message thinking, this can never be me. I'm on my second marriage. I'm on my third marriage. I'm on my fourth marriage. Christian, I got fired from my job. Christian, I spent time in jail. Like, there's a lot of people who can have spiritual influence. I don't think this is for me. No, this is for you. Mark Batterson, who Daniel just quoted, has written a book called The Circle Maker, which is a book about praying big prayers. Really good book if you want to be inspired in your prayer life. But he said, your worst mistakes double as your greatest opportunities. Your worst mistake double as your greatest opportunities because you get the chance to share how God forgave and how God worked in your life even through failure. And here's what Batterson says about sharing your failures. For those of you who are parents with your kids, he says, how will your kids learn to apologize unless you model it for them? Your mistakes give you one of the most important lessons they'll ever learn, how to say, I'm sorry. He says, I have a very simple parenting philosophy that boils down to just three words, please, sorry, and thanks. If all else fails, I want to teach my kids to be really good at saying these words, please, sorry, and thanks, and then doing them. If they master these three words, they're well on their way to great marriages, great friendships, and great relationships with God. So we can influence people by sharing our past. And here's the last thing that you need to remember. So I really, I I want to be spiritually influential in my dysfunctional family, with the difficult people that I work with, with my neighbors, with the parents on my kids' sports team. I want to have spiritual influence. Don't forget Here's a closing thought. It's never too late to start living for God in a way that influences others. It's never too late to begin a spiritual journey that can deeply influence others. So we on Saturday, a group of 30 of us from our church, were worshiping with our ministry partner in Haifa, Israel. Tents of Mercy is what, it call, is what it's called. It was founded by a man named Eitan Shishkoff, who he and his wife were hippies in the mountains of New Mexico doing drugs until they became Christians. And they got involved because they're both Jewish with kind of a Jewish church in their area. And at the age of 44, without ever speaking a word of Hebrew, they felt called to move to Israel and to begin to try to minister to people in Israel. Between the ages of 44 and 48, Atom would see the Russian immigrants being forced out of communist China. And God spoke to his heart that you need to do something to help these people. So at the age of 48, without ever speaking a word of Hebrew, at the age of 48, he started a church and a movement called Tents of Mercy. And here was his goal, to be able to provide for immigrants who were showing up on the boat with nothing on their back, to be able to feed people who could not feed their own families, to minister to Jews in the city of Haifa in a way that would allow them to see Jesus as the Messiah and to minister to people who were considering getting abortions by giving them pro-life help a year up to the birth of the baby and then for a year after. He taught himself Hebrew and eventually his little congregation grew from a family to hundreds of families that are now involved. And here's what they told us when we were in Israel. Every month now, 
Every month they provide 20 immigrant families with a full apartment full of furniture and a full closet full of clothes for refugees who are being forced out of their countries because they're Jewish and coming to Israel. 20 families every month. They feed 350 families in their community every month who do not have the ability to feed their own families while they're trying to get their feet on the ground in their new country. On Passover, they feed a thousand Jewish families in their city who don't have enough to provide for the nice, big Jewish Passover Seder like the rest of the families, people who don't even come to their church. And every year for 22 years, they've rescued on average 40 to 45 children who were going to be aborted, but whose mom said, if you will help me, I will have the baby. Nearly a thousand babies now. He didn't start till he was 48. How many of you are under the age of 48? Raise your hand. I'm under the age of 48. What if your greatest spiritual legacy hasn't even started yet? You're thinking, it's too late for me. No, no, no. You you might still be a decade away from 50. And your greatest spiritual legacy, get this, maybe in a different language, might still be ahead of you. It's never too late to have spiritual influence. If you'll open your heart to God and say, God, what am I supposed to do? What's my influence supposed to be on the world? It's never too late to have spiritual influence. We want to end by just praying for you, but giving you the opportunity to pray for maybe somebody you feel like God is calling your heart to impact. So would you just bow your heads with us and close your eyes and just all across the room right now.